I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications Podcast, where we discuss the challenges and opportunities facing companies on their road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Fred Duden, Global Head of Enterprise Product at Broadridge. Thank you so much for joining me. Really happy to be here, Matt. Certainly. So if I... If I look at your background, it's really interesting because you came over from J.P. Morgan Chase, now you're global head of enterprise product, but you also had roles at Charles Schwab, and I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about that background before we get into the Broadridge side of the business. Sure. So I, I've had the pleasure of working at a, co- a couple of great companies that allowed for great diversity in roles and, and encouraging people and employees to take on different roles, new activities, uh, including Schwab and J.P. Morgan, where, you know, I led digital products at both companies, largely built you invest mm-hmm. as well as um, Schwab Intelligent Portfolios. But prior to that at Schwab, I led corporate development. So I was involved in, in a lot of M&A activity. Yeah. And so I like to think of myself as a product person with a strong, eclectic background of varying different abilities that kind of meld into... Um, many different things that allow me to think about things differently, which I think is really, really important uh, from a product management perspective. Yeah, and I love that mix of corporate strategy, product, yeah. executive leadership, and and you held these roles during a pretty transformative time in the industry. And I'd love to hear a little bit about those last 10 years and and what changes in the market were signaling the need to react and, and to what extent you were proactively getting ahead of those changes. Well, I think there was a lot of different changes that were happening in the market relative to things like passive versus active portfolio management. Um, and also, obviously, the advent of robo-advisors, yeah. um, and which is really a, a vehicle by which um, scalable advice has been come into the marketplace um, without that kind of personal touch necessarily from yeah. a robo perspective. And then you have the big brokers and, and bigger companies trying to figure out where they're going with that. Mm-hmm. And you've so, seen that happen because, you know, assets were flowing into those areas. And so I think what many have figured out is that in the larger companies have figured out that there's there's a platform for everything and there's a vehicle by which to do that. And now, um, and it'll probably be a theme that we talk about today, Matt, is the hybrid advice model and yeah. how do I how do I give that personal touch with a great digital experience that enhances the advisor's ability to um, perform for their for their clients. Let's just start there then. Sure. I, I mean it's really interesting to look at this shift to zero fee commissions mm. and I wonder to what extent that's cannibalizing the market and also how that's changing the needs of the business to to backfill for those losses in revenue. If you've read any of the articles recently about the zero the, the zero commissions, you can see that some were more prepared than others and from a competition perspective, yeah. i.e. they had worked very hard to get their income statement to be less reliant on trading commissions mm-hmm. and transactional type of, of stuff and were very heavily focused on net interest margin and asset management fees. And others w- weren't. And yeah. so the z- zero commission was you know, it was a race to zero for for years. It would kept coming down. If you were to put it on a chart, it would you would see the yep. the downward trend. Yep. Uh, I think the key for zero commissions is I'm not necessarily saying that it's a race for assets right now, particularly advised assets, mm-hmm. because that's how. If, if you're not making it on net interest margin, which is going to be a huge pool for the the big companies to be going after, but also um, on advice. 
And so if I am giving really good advice, whether that's scalable, whether that's hybrid, whether that's full service, whatever model that you're in, or if you're in all three, I can show that value proposition for the fees that I'm being, that I'm charging on top of those assets. And that's really where the competition is going to be in terms of how can I give good advice to clients, keep them invested when the market's kind of choppy and really be able to either via phone or a personal relationship, be able to do that in a scalable way. How quickly is that robo-advisor evolving and learning as it gives advice over time? I I think it's evolving pretty quickly. I think um, many companies are trying to figure that out, testing different pricing models for it. And the fact is that I don't think that the larger companies that have implemented what I'll call digital advice or scalable advice Mm -hmm. for you know, for a certain portion of their client base are really thinking about it as a robo. I don't think they think yeah. about it that way anymore. I think it's moved into just being a suite of services that they offer. Um, look at you invest as a as a means for a much more scalable way for JP Morgan Chase to get more clients that are yeah. maybe younger or maybe, you know, not quite have as much assets sure. to be get started. You know, the most important thing from a, from a client's perspective is starting early, to save and invest is is really a powerful thing given the time value of money. I think about this guy that I know who started doing pizza parties in the pre-med offices to, to start trying to sell them insurance as they hit their early medical careers. And then he was able to take that into full-blown larger insurance packages as they went out into the world. Right. It's, I, I almost use that analogy from an investor standpoint. Like, how do you lower the barrier to enter, let you come in with fewer dollars to, yeah. to trade with mm-hmm. and get somebody hooked as they're making that transition into a, a more... Uh, I wouldn't use the word hooked, Matt. Okay. But uh, uh, what I would say is that the things that you'll see, the implementation in many of the companies, and if you follow the market uh, around financial services, you'll see that from an investing perspective, things like fractional shares. Yeah. There's lots of startups that have a fractional share. So yes, I want to be invested, but I don't have, you know... I have $50 a week. I have $200 a week. If you think $200 a week over 52 weeks, that's quite a bit, that's quite a bit of money. And, and you can invest and have a a steady investment plan that would buy particular securities or particular portfolio, depending on how you wanted to do it. So I think fractional shares is, as you've seen with some of the competitors Mm -hmm. out there or our clients have actually implemented fractional shares, something that we can obviously support at Broadridge. And so, you know, buying half a share of Amazon or a quarter share of, of Apple every two weeks is something that's a really powerful thing. And again, it again, lowers the barrier for entry. Correct. Yeah. So what else has evolved in recent years in that space that you feel like has been a game changer for the industry? I think the advent of a, what I'll call omni-channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think some of the you know, I think that's what's happened over the years is uh, a lot of asset flow has gone to what would have been more the online competitors, and the online competitors are moving up market relative to thinking about how do I get more full service advice because again they're competing yep. for advice products, and then you've got the like the full service kind of broker dealers looking and saying, well, how do I make a more a better digital experience? And I think that's kind of converging on how do I serve my clients, where they want to be served, how they want to be served. And 
by what vehicle they want to be served. And so that means phone and omnichannel seems simple, but it's really, you know, I want to be on my phone. I want to be, make a phone call. I want to look at my app on my phone. I want to use a website and I want to interact with a person when I want to interact with a person. And so creating that omnichannel ecosystem is something that people would call it digital, that Mm -hmm. we've been investing a lot in digital. I think of it more as an ecosystem of communication and that ecosystem of communication can include things like I want all my e-delivery. I don't yeah. I don't want to talk to a person, but there's just as many people that do want to talk to a person when they want to. I want to chat when I want to chat on the website, right? Yeah. And I want to maybe text. So these are all the kinds of things that you're seeing. And what's happening, I think, is over the last 10 years, it's not just fintech. It's with the predominance of data plans mm-hmm. on your phone – and the activity that you're used to doing, like I Ubered here, right? Yeah. Two minutes, I had a car, yeah. right? Two clicks, so simple. And trying to bring that into an omni-channel self-service kind of thing, as well as phone call kind of thing from a financial services perspective, as I think what there's been a lot of work, um, you know, both from our perspective to be able to support that at Broadridge for our clients and then our clients just yeah. looking to invest in that. We talk about the competitive nature of wanting to compare to the last best experience that that consumer or investor received even more so than looking at what your peers are doing. So how does that Uber experience translate into a better investing experience? And how do you take some of the best of those other activities in the world and points of engagement and bring that into an an investment platform? Yeah, I mean, Matt, you're you're on something. Actually, a funny, funny, funny story is, you know, as I was mentioning to you earlier, I was flying back from a trip last night and the flight from Florida kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then next thing you know, there were a lot of people that were very upset because they were going to miss their connections. And this is a face-to-face client standing in front of you that Mm -hmm. isn't happy. Mm-hmm. And how are you going to help them to make them happy so that they have a great experience from from the brand that you're representing? And I won't say the the, sure. the carrier, but it was it was crazy because ultimately they started to get into a fight because people were cutting the line. Yep. Somebody called the police. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. But the point I'm trying to make is how do I have a great digital experience yeah. in the app where I'm getting really updated and take that to – the same information is at the counter. So I'm getting this real-time yeah. information back and forth because I just want to know when I'm leaving. Yep. And I want to know if I'm going to make my connections. Translate that to financial services. I just want to know where I am today. And I want to know where I am today, whether I'm talking to you, Matt, because you're my advisor, or I go to my app and say, hey, I'm up by blah, 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 and I'm meeting my goals. And yep. those are the types of things that that's the interaction model from an omni-channel I think is so important. I wanted to talk a little bit about your role at Broadridge because if you think about in in my world, we talk a lot about the chief customer officer. And the chief customer officer, you can often understand how committed the organization is to it, having a true chief customer officer mm-hmm. based on reporting structure. Mm-hmm. So if they're buried in under a, a line of business – within marketing function, they're probably not really a chief customer officer, right. maybe in that in their world there. Right. Uh, so your role, you came in head of enterprise product, reporting directly to our CEO, Tim Goki. Right. How, how important is it to have that reporting structure? First and foremost, I think it's really, really important that a strong management organization is sitting within the business, the revenue generating activities at any company, 
And especially if you were to look, and I haven't done this data, but I would imagine I've looked at a couple companies that are, you know, the larger technology firms. And whether you're fintech or you're a technology firm, product is usually sitting at the C level, Mm -hmm. sitting with the CEO at that leadership team, helping make informed decisions. And and from my perspective, given that Broadridge is a is what I believe to be the largest um, fintech in the in on the globe, you know, given our revenue, given our mm-hmm. size, given the complexity of the systems that we manage and the product breadth that we have, and the capabilities and clients that we support, I think it's incredibly important that product is at the heart of how we set our strategy, mm-hmm. because I believe product is not just about strategy, but it's also about the execution of that strategy. So, you know, I'm a big believer in strategic execution. So you hear product roadmap, and that's great if it's strategy, but without the execution side, what are we delivering right. on? And from a technology perspective, given everything we do is really reliant on our strong development capabilities that we have, I think it's incredibly important. And just to The finer point on it is, I think if you were to look at some of the larger technology firms over the years and you saw the evolution, you would see product moving continuously up in in some of the most successful ones. Yeah, and also when when you're a highly acquisitive company, it's that much more important to make sure that the acquisitions fold in. Absolutely. So on that note, you you do often talk about the the three key pillars or key areas of focus being – product ideation and delivery, product strategy, and go-to-market strategy. Yeah. And so it builds on what your last point was, but but share a little bit more on that. Sure. So I think of kind of the the, the three towers or the three principles, whatever, whatever, sure. whatever consultant stock you want to use. Yep. I think of that as the product strategy is think of it as roadmaps and, and all of that. Then product delivery is the execution of that roadmap. And then whether you're B2B like we are at Broadridge or you're B2C, mm-hmm. like, you know, where I, I formerly worked, I think it's incredibly important to go to market. And you could use that synonymous with words like field activation. You know, how do I get what I'm building and delivering from a product perspective into the marketplace in the hands of our clients, in the hands of our field, who is be- the best served yeah. to be able to launch the product? without them understanding it and bringing them along over the time that you're building it. And these activities, they're not uh, concurrent. They're, right. They overlap, right? They're, they're parallel processes. Yep. And so this communication across these three streams is so important. And that's where you see success. When that communication breaks down, that's where a product may not launch very well or the field doesn't know how to talk about it. Right. And that's something that I think is incredibly important that we are we are working really hard on at Broadridge. We've been really successful over the last, you know, 10 years as long as I've been a client, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I'm really I can't wait to see how we can bring the best in class kind of stuff associated with each one of these areas that we do well today and just make them that much better. How important has it been to bring that outside perspective into Broadridge to say, this is what the clients want. Well, that that might be a nice bell or whistle. You need to solve today's problems, and this is what they're really looking for. Well, I mean, I think that the, the, nobody knows better what the problems are than the people that we talk to every day. Yeah. It goes back to my earlier point, communication. So listen, the reality is, is that we all have information and data on what our clients want, empirical data, mm-hmm. not not word of mouth, but empirical data about I've talked to 20 clients about this particular mm-hmm. solution. I've 
heard from the industry and I've, I've done the competitive analysis, our competitors are investing in different areas. And that's really bringing that all together so that we have a cohesive strategy and then executing upon that. You know, this is what we're doing in this quarter. This is what we're doing in the next quarter. These are the resources that we're allocating to the development process. It's, it's just so important. Yeah. It certainly feeds into that, that broader one Broadridge yeah. goal. Yeah. 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 So, so what are some of the things that clients are asking for today that you're looking at from a roadmap perspective? Well, certainly they're looking for a more, uh, a more co- cohesive platform that's componentized. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of investment change in perspective on cloud. Yep. Um, we've seen a change in perspective on, um, you know, SaaS providers. Like, obviously, we have a strong view that becoming even more of a SaaS provider than we are today. And I think clients are looking for that. The end clients, so the clients of our clients are looking for, I think, communications in a snackable way, yep. you know, something that they can get quick information on that's really, really important. And I think it's our job really to help our clients educate their clients on the importance of things like prospectuses and what is that? What's the information that's contained in that in a digestible way? I think that's something that's really, really important. Are you saying that prospectuses need to evolve? You know, I don't know that they necessarily need to evolve, but I think there's there's a way, you know, something that I've worked pretty hard on in the last 10 years is to figure out a way to give clients an information that is like, if I've traded and I've rebalanced, mm-hmm. you know, I'm watching out for the client and there's yeah. a way to, to engage in them. And, you know, we've seen that happen over the last 15 years in terms of how we interact with digital components in yeah. our whole life. And I think that's something that's really happening from an end client perspective. Now, our clients... I think they're looking for something that's componentized. They want to be able to say, this is core to my business. I have a great platform that does this already inside that we built, but I need these four other things. And they want us to be able to say, which we can do, of course, they want us to be able to say, can you do these four things without having to do the whole thing? And that's an incredibly important thing from a investment in API infrastructure, uh, a microservices infrastructure, and so creating more power in the computing process for them. Excellent. I'd be curious to see what you think that might be a fad today that becomes more prevalent, something that that people aren't even talking about today that might become more central to the discussion in the future. Oh, boy. I mean, I think it's really, really, I mean, this you're not going to like this answer, but I think it's so hard to say um, where we're evolving. I think this is, you know, this is the most radical change in the business model I've seen in my career in terms of what can happen. You know, we're seeing consolidation mm-hmm. um, with Schwab and TD, and we're seeing scale plays like that. And I think, you know, m- maybe there'll be more of that. But I also think that, you know, where digital is going to take and evolve the financial services industry is in- is an incredible thing. I mean, think about how many transactions that are being done on your mobile phone, yeah. what that looks like. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how my kids in 10 years want to be communicated with and how they expect to be communicated. So mm-hmm. how that omni-channel experience evolves is really going to be something that's very interesting. Like I have a 13-year-old daughter. When she's 23 years old, I can only imagine what her experience is going to be. And you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see which companies can attract her yep. as a client. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Fred, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure, Matt. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. 
If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. <laughs>